Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Our Declaration of Independence states emphatically, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Inalienable or unalienable means the same thing. You say tomato, I say tomato. Inalienable means that it cannot be taken away. Some time ago, I had an interesting conversation with a leader here within our state, our state government. I kept talking about solving hunger, creating food security, and finally he said, quote, Come on, Phil. Even Jesus said, The poor you always have with you. I took it to mean that we will never solve hunger. I was flabbergasted, so I posed a question back to him, and it was this. Yes, but does that mean that if you are poor, you are destined to always struggle to be food secure? Today on the show, we are going to get an update from our Feeding America advocate in D.C., Carrie Calvert. But more importantly, I want Jerry and me to address my concern over the seemingly fundamental belief that if you are poor in America, you will always struggle with food for yourself and for your loved ones. I fear the political division present in America today hinders our hearts from caring as well as our vision and that we can't see past our own ideology to where solutions lie. I have hope that the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. can follow the example of their colleagues in the Senate and pass a farm bill that will protect these inalienable rights that help our food banks create food security for those in need. Jerry and me, we will be right back with our guest, Carrie Calvert, in just a couple of minutes, along with some stimulating analysis on how food insecurity should be an issue that unites us. You come back and be with us. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. As promised, Carrie Calvert, the Managing Director for Nutrition and Ag and Government Relations for Feeding America in Washington, D.C., is back with us on Food for Thought. So, Carrie, Jerry, and I welcome you to Food for Thought here on WJR. Well, thanks for having me back. It's always exciting when I'm able to uh, hear from you guys and uh, connect with you and your listeners to uh, talk about what's happening here in D.C., because what you're doing in Michigan is a lot more exciting than what we're doing here in D.C. <laughs> 
Well, I'm not sure. I would say this. One hand washes the other when it comes to this work, and what you're doing is critically important as we look at the social safety net and the role the social safety net plays in food security and, of course, our fundamental belief that food security is a critical in- ingredient for success, period. Mm. So so I, I think I'm going to say what you're doing is pretty exciting to us, and we're eager to get a, an update on you know, how are things going and uh, what, you know, maybe a little of, you know, what we're looking forward to next. Sounds great. So in regard to the farm bill, Carrie, um, we know the Senate has passed a version. We know the House, and and that was done in a very um, bipartisan manner. And, uh, you know, no piece of legislation is absolutely perfect. Um, This one was pretty good. Uh, we 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 think we could improve it a little bit, of course. Of course, even with uh, our own Senator Stabenow as the ranking member. Uh, but at the same time, now it comes to the House, and there has been some uh, some a bit more partisanship there. I guess is how I would I would explain it. But why don't you give us some backstory and uh, tell us what's happening? Right, I'd be happy to. First, how about that Senate vote? largest uh, vote margin in support of a farm bill in history, I believe, which yep. really speaks to the the strong bipartisan work that uh, Chairman Roberts and Ranking Member Stabenow have done. I mean, Michigan should really be so proud of, of the hard work that uh, Senator Stabenow and her staff put into this. Um, they really uh, worked to um, shore up support for uh, their version of the 2018 Farm Bill that, um, you know, takes a good hard look, uh, particularly at federal nutrition programs, uh, makes some um, necessary program integrity and investment and employment and training for SNAP, but recognizes the need to make sure that uh, families and people that are struggling have access to food while they're trying to get a leg up. And I think I've said it on prior shows, uh, but farm bills are are always passed on the middle of the aisle in a bipartisan way. And the Senate has really uh, sent a strong message to the House that, hey, this is how you can get a bipartisan bill done. Follow our lead on bipartisanship as we work together on a conference agreement and try to get a final bill done. Yeah, really, really good news, um, and I, I couldn't agree more. It's a it's a phenomenal success, not just for the farm bill, but for civility. I mean, I, I you know we need more of it. It, it was very encouraging, and uh, we were pretty excited about it. Yeah, uh, we were as well, and um, particularly you know if we look at what happened with the with the House bill. Yeah, there were a lot of strong opinions about how to encourage additional workforce participation. Uh, I think the thing that concerned us the most is that you need to invest in the workforce training without having harsh and punitive measures that are going to take food away at the same time. Uh, you guys know better than I do because you're doing the work on the ground, working with community organizations, working with individuals to find out how do we 
um, connect you with the resources and training to fit the jobs that are here in our community. And there's no one solution to that. And so that's why we were so excited that the Senate bill took the direction it did by investing in employment and training and looking at how um, additional resources pointed to that can, um, you know, provide some additional direction and learning for other organizations and communities to um, help members in their community that are struggling with um, unemployment. Exactly. You know, we, so what I think, Carrie, is that we all fundamentally agree with the, the statement or the philosophy that work is good. <laughs> You know, and people want to work. I mean, the the people I serve, I'm telling you, most people want to work. They would rather make their own choices about their life than depend on programs that they have to do something different in order to qualify for or or, or adhere to. Exactly right. So most people would rather work and do what they want. So there, there's just a fundamental disconnection from the 37 years ago when Ronald Reagan said the best social program is a job, and that that fundamental difference is there's not the strong connection between employment and food security that there used to be. But the, philosophically, Jerry, this is where you come in to say in, in the Senate Farm Bill, this is not about punishing people. It's about a framework that says they're what? Worthy to be invested in. Right. Exactly right. And I think that's a really important distinction in how we need to change the conversation. It's not about needy people. It's about people worth investing in. But to answer that question, you have to say, well, what are the returns on that investment? And actually, I think we know there's a lot of return on the investment of a really strong social safety net. Well, it's not just the return on investment. It's the return on community. Absolutely right. There's a lot of winners when food security is solved, and the farm bill should be aimed at that outcome. And I think the Senate version is. Carrie, would you agree with that? I I would. I would. I think that the Senate took a really thoughtful approach to um, to what the, the interventions are that uh, will help people. And the reality is, and you know this, most um, most people that are, are food insecure and, and qualify for federal nutrition programs like SNAP are working. Sometimes it's in more... Um, you know, uh, fluctuating employment where, you know, they're not able to work a full schedule. Others, uh, you know, are working full time yet um, still qualify for assistance. And, you know, highlighting those things and educating Congress on what the face of hunger is actually like in their community and who is in need and how uh, a strong farm bill with protecting and investing in federal nutrition programs like SNAP or like TFAP that uh, provides food banks with food for community members in need, uh, those programs are doing vitally important work. Um, you know, focusing on that education, especially as we, we look to, uh, you know, the bills are very different in some aspects, so we want to really um, you know, reach out to all members of Congress and educate them on um, what we need to see in a, a final farm bill. The uh, Chairman and Roberts and Ranking Member Stabenow and Chairman Conway and Ranking Member Peterson are actually meeting today to have their first official uh, conference committee meeting, and the, the Senate is expected to appoint conferees hopefully this week. 
So they're getting the process rolling, and I think now it's our turn as active and invested community members and uh, supporters of addressing, um, you know, poverty and, and need and hunger in our community to, to do our job and to make sure we're educating all members of Congress on how important a strong farm bill is. So, Carrie, do you think the bill will be done before or after the midterms? I think it's really hard to tell. I know that they're going to work hard to negotiate through August and in September, but there are a lot of other things that have to be done with a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. If you look back, generally, it's sometimes a challenge to get a farm bill reauthorized on time. It's very common that there might be a short-term extension to try to get the negotiations across the finish line. Um, but it's more important to get it right than to get it done. Right. It, it, you're exactly correct. It's more important to get it right than to get it done. It's very important. And uh, I can't remember the last time we didn't have an extra work period. Congress didn't return to finish bills after a midterm election or an election. So right. I expect if they aren't able to get it done by September 30th, that they'll be back at it later this fall to make sure they can get it done. You know, they've put so much work. We all have collectively put so much work into either right. educating members of Congress or the committees and, you know, the members of the committees themselves have put so much into writing these bills that I know they want to work very hard on finding a bipartisan solution. Um, right. And moving it forward. And it's great that we have champions who are Republicans and champions who are Democrats. We probably have champions from the Green Party and champions who are Libertarians. I mean, the truth is, this is an issue that typically unites us because, you know, I'll tell you, we had an event uh, on Monday and one of the speakers got up and said, there are two words that should never, ever go together. And that is child and hunger. Mm-hmm. Those two words should never go together. And boy, what you're working on there is so important to make sure those two words do not go together here. Carrie Calvert, the Managing Director for Nutrition and Ag and Government Relations for Feeding America, our advocate in D.C. Carrie, thanks so much for being with us today. But more importantly, thanks for how you're investing your one handful of life and standing in the gap for those who struggle with food insecurity. Jerry and I will be back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening. Jerry and I are back here in the WJR studio to uh, follow up on the conversation with Kerry Calvert, our advocate there in Washington, D.C., based on our Feeding America uh, work and positions. And um, Jerry, just give me an initial reaction first from the conversation with Kerry and kind of where we're at on the farm bill. Well, it's good to get an update. It is a really critical piece of legislation. So, uh, so we do keep talking about it as it moves forward because it affects a lot of the people we serve. And uh, so I'm glad to, to keep doing it. And I hope uh, all of you out there recognize that uh, this is really important to our community. And it only comes around every five years. Yeah, right. So, you know. A little it, bit of time we spent on this, a few shows, but it's, it's absolutely important. If there's one takeaway... The Farm Bill is important to our community, and it's got to be done right. And 
typically it is, and typically it's bipartisan, and typically the thought that goes into it is impressive. It's a it's a great piece of legislation overall. Well, anything that it affects everything in regard to food from farm to fork. Yep. And yep. you just you know now we're getting into the trade discussions, and you know we just this past few days the. The administration has given, you know, some money to farmers to kind of help tide them over uh, as the the tariffs are all taking place in this discussions and trade and how that affects Michigan farmers. That's all part of the farm bill. Yeah, no question about you know, it. It's, it. So it's 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 it is larger than the safety net, uh, but it also includes the safety net. And that's really kind of a. I think where we want to go with the rest of the show is to kind of talk about this paradox, I guess would be the right word. And you described it off air, so I'm going to get you to do that again. I mean, we are often asked, you know, when the economy gets better and we still need to help people with food. Why is that? So uh, for me, for my life, uh, five years ago, the question I got most often was, what's the difference between gleaners and forgotten harvest? Now, for bo- for those of you out there not from southeast Michigan, you might not get the, the question, but fundamentally, Forgotten Harvest is a food rescue organization about the same size as gleaners here in southeast Michigan. We both work on ending hunger, and we both do really important work in this space, and it people want to know the answer to that question. So that was what's a question five years ago. Today... The number one question I get is, why do you still need help? We have, you know, great employment numbers right now. We 4.8%. have jobs that, that are needed in, in Detroit and elsewhere. And the news coming out of Detroit right now is predominantly positive. Mm-hmm. You know, all the great things that are happening. It's a very exciting time. And so, you know, the number one question I get is, why do you still need help? Mm-hmm. So I do want to address that for a minute, and it comes it does connect to the farm bill and why it's so important. So food insecurity as something that we measure is a new idea. In 20 years ago, you didn't measure food insecurity. You didn't even use those words. You just had people standing in line at pantries for food, and there was enough of them that people said, hey, that's a problem we should address. And then the studies in in education and nutrition for kids and how it helps them learn, those things made people go, hey, we should address this problem. But nobody really sat down and said, how big is this problem? What is this problem? How do we define and measure this problem? So we started measuring it more comprehensively about 10 years ago, and Feeding America um, came up with a methodology with a couple really smart statisticians and actuaries and university people who said, here's a way we can measure food insecurity. What's the name of that study? It is called Map the Meal Gap. Right, and that's when we had Dr. Aaron McDonald on from Feeding America to help us understand that. Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. So since we started measuring what the state of food insecurity is, we've learned that with the government help, and that includes the Meals in Schools, it includes SNAP, it includes uh, WIC, all of the government programs. 15 federal food programs. With those 15 programs and the billions of pounds of food that food banks distribute today... Mm-hmm. nationwide, we have met half the need for food insecurity in the United States. That is the best 
number we've had since we started measuring it. So wow. here's the disconnect. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before you go to the disconnect, say that again. With all of those resources, we've only met half the need. That's the best we've done. So so the half isn't where we've been this whole time. That's what we've gotten to. With right. the resources we've dedicated to this issue, that's where we've gotten to. Now, there's lots of reasons, the things that drive that reality. But, uh, you know, without getting too deep in the weeds there, what happens when the economy gets better, logically, you would say, people need less help. And you'd be right. I can tell you that when that during, in the heat, or the heart, the biggest part of the Great Recession a few years ago here in Southeast Michigan, I had over 850,000 food insecure people to reach. Now it's less than 700,000. And that number's going down a little bit every year. You see, well, I guess a little or a lot depends on your perspective. It's right. going down by tens Probably of thousands of people. if you were one of those people or not. I mean, that's right. But tens of thousands of people a year are, in fact, better off. And as people get educated and participate in the economy as it stands today, it is making a difference. It's making a huge difference. There's no question about it. Yet, the need is still not met. So what happens to food banks is that people think, well, there's less need because the economy's better, and they're right. But it only makes sense to give us less if the problem is solved. Well, the problem isn't solved. The problem's never been solved. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and so now that we're smarter about it and we can measure this and we can track progress against the problem, we don't want to lose momentum. Because what losing momentum fundamentally means to the community is less success. It means less success at school, less success at work, less success for people to, in the long term, get off and stay off these supports. So we have to make sure that people stay food secure until they're successful. And that's the game. And that's the game we want to be in. Hmm. So when we come back, I've got a question for you. And I'm not going to ask it to you until we come back. So, uh, Jerry Brisson, CEO and president of Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chair for the Food Bank Council of, of Michigan. That's where I work and serve as the director there. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. He's Jerry Brisson. We'll be back on Food for Thought in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks, folks. We're back here in WJR. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. And uh, Jerry, one of the things you've said, and here's the question I said I was going to ask you um, here on the show, is that if we've only met at our best rate of effectiveness since we've been measuring this, over the, particularly over the last 10 years, has half of the need with everything that we have going. So I have two questions for you. One comment you've made is that parents are meeting about 60 to 65% of the need for the children in their family. 
So how does that number tie in to we're only meeting about half the need? So in my opinion, parents are a little more motivated than average. And so they do a little bit more than people who would be similarly struggling, right? So if they're a little bit higher than average as a group, it means everyone else is a little bit lower average to get to that median, right? And that's sure. all that really means. I And I do think that parents are a little more motivated in general to feed their kids than an individual is to feed themselves. So here's a question that you absolutely do not know is coming at you. One of the, the primary objective of this show is to change the conversation about food insecurity. And on our website, foodsecuremichigan.org, where you can hear all of our shows, the opening line says this, do you believe that hunger can be solved? We do. So now here I am, the devil's advocate, saying to you, the guy who's got 30 years in this work and is more encouraged about it than you've ever been, wait a minute, we've only met with all the resources of the federal government and charity and us and our excellent network, half the need. What makes you think we can get to the other half? Well, I think... One of the most important reasons I think we can get to the other half is because we know there is another half. Hmm. So prior to measuring, prior to having some methodology for understanding the scope of the problem and who's affected by the problem, all you're really doing is guessing based on the number of people asking for help. Whether that help is government help or whether it's pantry help, if you don't have a methodology for understanding the problem, then you don't know what to shoot for. So, so what's, what's it's like the... setting sail in the ocean and not having a port to go to. I mean, how do you know how far you are? You right. just know there's a lot of blue around you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. And that's what you're saying we've been able to do. And we're getting better at. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I will say we've come a long way to really framing the problem in very specific ways. So once you do that, then you can start to break it down into the chunks that are easiest to solve first. And that is a really important part of the process, because if you try to solve the most difficult pieces first, you will have nothing but frustration. So what do I mean by easy? Because nothing is ever easy. You, <laughs> yeah, and my I staff knows. I haven't found that part of this work yeah, yet. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, my staff knows. It's one of my favorite sayings is nothing is ever easy. But let me let me make some really obvious ones. So when we talk about working with healthcare, and we talk about health conditions that are affected by food insecurity, and we talk about 70% or more of prescriptions saying take with food, Right. And yet, by what we've measured so far, 24% of the people that come to a healthcare system are food insecure. Hmm. So you don't need a lot more logic than that to say that's a group we should start talking about and, <laughs> and we should start addressing that because we know their medication isn't going to work if they don't get food. And if their medication doesn't work, that's going to create a lot more cost. I'm and the not, right kinds of food. Exactly right. Healthy food, nutritious food, di- uh, health-appropriate diets, right? So, so 
that's I don't want to say the work is easy, but it's not a big leap of logic to say, geez, we should be addressing that. Healthcare knows it. We know it. So that's an example of something I think we can tackle now that we couldn't have tackled before because we didn't even know those numbers. We just didn't know. Right. You've said on the show before, too, you've asked three questions. Who needs help? How much help do they need and for how long? And there are people who will solve and create food security in their own life. They've had a life upset of some point, and it doesn't matter what we do. They're going to solve it themselves. Yep. Okay? Then there's a big chunk of people that need a little help for a little while, and then there's a chunk of folks that it doesn't matter what we do. It's like the guy that me and my person in my monologue were discussing. They're always going to need help for us. So we're about to run out of time in this segment, but I want you to get to, I want to get your thoughts on who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long, and how you came up with those thoughts on the other side of this break. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought, and you're listening to us on WJR. Come back and be with us. We're going to be right here. Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to find our website, foodsecuremichigan.org, and you can catch up on all our shows, including the couple that we referenced in this show, one being Dr. Aaron McDonald was with us, who leads a lot of the research at Feeding America, our national organization, and the and the study that Jerry is referring to, uh, MAP, the meal gap, we at the Food Bank Council have also mapped Michigan, and that's the project. You can find at our website as well, fbcmich.org, where we've mapped the entire state and every community in regard to the rate of food insecurity. So we know where the food insecure people are living, and now we're using that to inform our decisions about operations. How much food are we taking? Are we taking enough food? And is it the right kinds of food? So, Jerry, I say all that to simply say that we have informed ourselves much more, and we're taking a very um, pragmatic approach to this. I mean, there's got to be some passion about doing this work, but we don't romance the poor, as you say, in in the aspect that we're we're not trying to, you know, help me out here. What are we not trying to do? <laughs> well, we're not trying to say that there's no culpability, right? Uh, people are people, and my experience of people, and I work with people on the whole social spectrum, from very poor people to very wealthy people. And my general experience of people is people are people. You have honest ones and dishonest ones. You have lazy ones, and you have really industrious ones. And we have a lot more in common than we think once we get to know each other. Once you, once I heard you say that it doesn't really matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make, everybody's living pretty much paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I mean, anyway. and there's a lot of evidence to support that too. Right. So, so, but but um, but you were asking the question, 
who, how much, and for how long, and yeah. and why is that the framework? And so, and here's how, here's why, here's why that comes around. So we started to see patterns in people coming to pantries. And we started looking at this, again, probably 10 years ago. And since then, we started to really look more carefully at data. And what we found was that in good times, in good times, the same households would come to our pantries for maybe six to eight months. And then they would just stop coming. You wouldn't see them anymore. In bad times, when the economy was really rough, you would see households coming for help for 18 to 24 months, and then they would stop coming. We also looked at the SNAP program, food stamps, and we learned that people who are enrolled in food stamps get off the program usually between between 12 months and 36 months. And then they were no longer getting that help. Now, we know that people roll on and off these things. But nonetheless, that information, once you understand that information, you start to understand pretty clearly that people don't need help forever. That without any um, impetus on our part to say you can't come anymore, people on their own stop coming to get help after a period of time. Now, not everyone... So now you drive even deeper and say, well, who is that then? Who are the people that need help longer and who are the people that need less help? And the truth is, we're just starting to understand that level of detail because in order to do that, you have to collect more information. And collecting information costs money. So you have to have a pretty good idea of what you're trying to do before you start just collecting everything from everyone all the time or you're going to work yourself into bankruptcy quick. Sure. So so we have to pick and choose. How do we learn who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long? And we need to find places where that data is already being captured to keep the cost as low as possible. So schools collect information, healthcare systems collect information, and food banks don't need to know the name of the person. We just need to know the aggregate information so that we can start planning appropriately based on the the data that we have, who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long. I don't believe you can have integrity in problem solving if you can't at least take a stab at answering those questions. If you just say, I want all the help for everyone all the time, people are going to say, that's no solution. But that's where we were for most of the history of this problem. But you can only do that for a very small number or segment of the population. To, to adopt that philosophy, we want to provide everything for everybody all the time. You know, it's amazing the number of examples in our history where people were willing to do something like that. You look at the rationing that happened during World War II, for example, and the victory gardens that people were making in their own homes and the extraordinary effort efforts the average person went through because it was a time of crisis and people knew they had to step up. There are inspirational times in our history, times of great crisis, where people did extraordinary things because there was no doubt it needed to be done. Well, those times, thankfully, don't come around that often. 
So when it's not a time of extraordinary crisis for the average person, how do we engage the whole community around issues that can be solved like this that are really costing us more? I mean, I really do believe hunger costs us more to keep than to fix. So we're walking down the sidewalk and we're not stopping at a house where we should have a show. And that show should be about what's best versus the boxes of social philosophy and how we get labeled. Because when you talk about providing help for people, how much help and for how long, then you walk into some political philosophies and ideologies that rub up against this issue and, and threaten our ability to be able to be effective in it. So there are liberal philosophies and there are conservative philosophies and there are things in the middle and there are libertarian and you said Green Party a while ago and, and you know, there's socialism, you know, and the, the where I really thought we might go with this show, which we're not, <laughs> is, um, is, is really, is it, a, is it an unreasonable expectation for a citizen in the United States of America to believe that they could have access to healthy, nutritious food. Now, we do believe that about water, and that's why we had the water crisis in Flint, because that expectation wasn't met and wasn't true, and it became a crisis. But if we're only, with all of our resources, meeting half the need, Jerry, about food insecurity, and it's having a debilitating effect on the lives of children and seniors and working adults in between, isn't that a bit of a crisis? Well, I think it is. And we have to get better at talking about what that crisis really looks like. Because most people who who are not making ends meet don't have a sign that says, I'm not making ends meet, <laughs> right? In fact, the last thing they want you to think is that they're not making ends meet. And most of us, and I would say again, my experience in this work has over and over and over showed me people wait too long to ask for help. They wait too long. Right. It's not that people are just asking, asking, asking. No, no, no. The truth is people they wait. Don't, people wait too long. And when you know we've only solved half the problem, that's proof that people wait too long. I yeah, mean I did. I waited too yeah. long. Well I think it's time for a little food for thought. Frederick Douglass, the brilliant and prominent American Arthur and orator was born a slave. Douglas escaped at age 20 and went on to become a world-renowned anti-slavery activist. Douglas said, I quote, I didn't know I was a slave until I found out I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. End quote. The lack of choice captures, detains, and imprisons people from becoming who and what they could. No bars are needed. And I think that's what food insecurity does to people. It imprisons them. And they can't become who and what they could if they were food secure. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Catch up on all our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. And follow me, Dr. Phil14, on Twitter. And until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, 
and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. <laughs>